Welcome to Immigrant Song, a podcast about immigration in the United States. I'm your host, Robert Stribley. In each episode, we discuss a specific and timely topic on the subject of immigration. In this episode, we'll examine how some anti-immigrant voices have popularized the term chain migration to stigmatize immigrant families, and we'll discuss how, in fact, chain migration is just immigration. Here's what the president has been clear on. Here's what I and so many Senate Republicans have been clear on. We're willing to protect this population that is in the DACA program. If we do that, though, it's going to have negative consequences. First, it's going to lead to more illegal immigration with children. That's why the security enforcement measures are so important. And second, it means that you're going to create an entire new population through chain migration that can bring in more people into this country that's not based on their skills and education and so forth. That's why we have to address chain migration as well. That was Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton talking about addressing chain migration on Meet the Press in 2018. Hearing it at the time, I puzzled over why Chuck Todd didn't challenge Cotton to explain why this specific path to immigrating to the United States is even a problem needing to be addressed. Cotton claimed that by giving amnesty to immigrants within the DACA program, you're going to create an entire new population through chain migration that can bring in more people into this country that's not based on their skills and education. End quote. Putting aside the fact that Cotton's criticism of the dynamic reeks of discrimination, we also know that family immigrants are generally better educated than U.S.-born natives. Additionally, however, chain migration has long been limited, and chain migration via DACA recipients would face the same limitations. Why did it seem, though, that we were seeing a shock and awe campaign aimed at convincing Americans we need to reduce chain migration whether it applies to DACA immigrants or typical immigrants. For decades, the term chain migration existed rather innocently as a term within the field of demographics. It simply meant that people are likely to move to other places on the planet to pursue opportunities based on their familiar relationships there. That's it. So if lately some have attempted to apply sinister undertones to the term, in fact, chain migration is really just immigration. While writing the essay this episode is based upon, I took a look at 14 years worth of searches on Google Trends for the term chain migration from 2004 to 2018. What you find is that the term chain migration practically didn't exist in the popular discussion until about 2017. Appearances before that were so few, they hardly warrant mentioning. Looking at the last decade specific to new searches on Google, the term still rarely rated a mention until 2017. Most years it didn't appear at all. For most of 2017 even, mentions were few and far between. Then, in December 2017, mentions begin to spike. That's around the time Donald Trump went to great lengths to blame chain migration for two terrorist attacks in the United States. The first incident, on October 31st, involved a man driving a rented truck through a bike lane and killing eight people and injuring 11. The next day, Trump took the opportunity to link chain migration to the attack. Note how he even takes pains to enunciate the term. We want to immediately work with Congress on the diversity lottery program on terminating it, getting rid of it, 
We want a merit-based program where people come into our country based on merit. And we want to get rid of chain migration. This man that came in, or whatever you want to call him, uh, brought in with him other people. And he was a point, he was the point of contact, the primary point of contact for, and this is preliminarily, 23 people that came in or potentially came in with him. Uh, and that's not acceptable. So we want to get rid of chain migration. And we've wanted to do that for a long time. And I've been wanting to do it for a long time. So we're going to get rid of this lottery program as soon as possible. He came in through the diversity program, as you know. And uh, we're going to stop that. We're going to, as quickly as possible, get rid of chain migration and go to a merit-based system. Just over a month later, another man attempted to detonate a pipe bomb within the Manhattan subway corridor. He failed spectacularly, but still managed to terrify commuters. In a statement released that day, Trump again attempted to connect chain migration to terrorism. He said, quote, Today's terror suspect entered our country through extended family chain migration, which is incompatible with national security. Unquote. Though it took off in December, the administration had set the term loose previously. Trump had made the same claim using the same term in September, and as mentioned in November as well. So too, Fox News used the term 295 times in 2017 versus zero times in 2016. Breitbart News tagged articles with the term 70 times in 2017 versus only once in 2016. So it seems someone made it part of the Trump administration's playbook to deploy the term in 2017 with this darker connotation. Trump tweeted about it too with his characteristic lack of subtlety and with little concern for explaining how the system really works. The term's origins were once much more innocent. Mentions of chain migration can be found in academic journals on Google Books as far back as 1935 in reference to various demographic studies. The digital library JSTOR confirms the term's use as early as 1942, and in their 1964 article, Chain Migration, Ethnic Neighborhood Formation, and Social Networks, John S. MacDonald and Leatrice D. MacDonald elaborated on the term for the Millbank Memorial Fund quarterly. The McDonald's defined chain migration as, quote, that movement in which prospective migrants learn of opportunities, are provided with transportation, and have initial accommodation and employment arranged by means of primary social relationships with previous migrants, unquote. To their credit, the McDonald's explained at the time that, quote, chain migration across international borders has taken place within an elaborate framework of administrative hurdles, unquote. They also pointed out that from 1885 to 1914, chain migration was essentially the only means of immigration to the United States for continental Europeans, and immigrants were not expected to know English, Neither did they typically have any other way to get here under their own initiatives or financing. 
In fact, what the McDonald's refer to as the, quote, impersonal organization of immigration, unquote, in other words, immigration affected by foreign governments, domestic employers, shipping companies, land companies, and other large enterprises, that sort of immigration was actually banned at the time. They did note that many immigrants came to the country to work for a while, then returned to their own country of origin with their earnings. They closed, however, by noting, quote, the information available for the United States provides only positive instances of chain migration, unquote. Ultimately, then, the term chain migration took root in the first half of the 20th century, but it remained in academic circles and never reached the common parlance until recently. Let me take a moment to share my own story. An immigrant from lovely Perth, Western Australia, I came here via chain migration, and the qualified chain ended with me, despite my having many, many relatives in Australia. Still, I had to work hard to take advantage of the process. I came here in 1989 to begin my university studies, and my parents immigrated shortly after via a unique clause in the immigration regulations which benefits religious organizations. I've described it previously in the episode, What Happens to a Dreamer Deferred? My parents petitioned for me to join them, and because I wasn't quite 21 years old, I barely qualified to apply for a green card. That was just the beginning of my journey, however. Because I was a student, I could stay in the United States, but only so long as I remained a student. The government told me at the time, however, I'd probably only have to wait a couple of years for my green card. Three years later, I had a degree under my belt, but still no green card. I could either enroll in another degree or leave the country, despite the fact that my entire immediate family now lived in the United States. So I looked into a few graduate programs, and fortunately, my alma mater invited me to stay on for two more years as a student and as a graduate assistant teaching English. Come 1995, and I had two degrees under my belt and still no green card, despite staying on top of all the paperwork and visiting the immigration authorities in Charleston, South Carolina, repeatedly. At this point, I could pursue a second graduate degree, or I could leave the country. I did apply to further my studies and was accepted to some programs, but I really didn't think I could pay for them at the time. Instead, feeling adventurous, I moved to Busan, Korea to teach English and continued checking in on my green card status with the U.S. Embassy there in Seoul. You can imagine their puzzlement as to why I, an Australian, was waiting for my green card in Busan. Well, it was either that, or had I stayed in the U.S. beyond two months after graduating, I would have been living here illegally. I mention this not to judge those who may have decided to stay anyway. Their situations and motivations are myriad. This is just my story. Then, after six years of waiting, I was finally granted a green card, and I returned to the United States. Since Portland, Oregon was my place of entry, I surrendered my fingerprints there, something no native-born American has to do, and finally I received a temporary green card. It was actually pink. I wouldn't seek and be granted citizenship until 2004, eight years later. So, that's just one real-world example of so-called chain migration. 
And let me acknowledge that as a white, English-speaking, formerly Protestant male, I'm sure I enjoyed some distinct advantages along the way. You know who else came to the United States via chain migration? Melania Trump's parents. That's right, in August 2018, Donald Trump's Slovenian in-laws, Victor and Amalia Navs, were officially sworn in as citizens of the United States in a private Manhattan ceremony. At the time, their lawyer agreed that they came here via chain migration. He said that chain migration was a, quote, dirtier way to describe what he believed to be, quote, a bedrock of our immigration process when it comes to family reunification, unquote. So let's take a moment to clarify how chain migration really works. Those employing the term chain migration to sow fear depend on the fact that many of those listening do not understand how it works. Critics of chain migration as it currently works point to 1965 as the year the United States decided to eliminate any cap on the number of immediate relatives who could immigrate to the United States, a seemingly sane and humane change calculated to allow families to remain intact. But groups like FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform, claim this biases the immigration system against immigrants who are better educated and have better skills. I'd note that I've yet to see these organizations offer any evidence to bolster their argument. FAIR does have the honor of earning the Southern Poverty Law Center's designation of hate group, however. In fact, some argue that ending chain migration would only make it more difficult for the United States to attract skilled, educated immigrants. Furthermore, organizations like the innocuously named the Center for Immigration Studies actively mislead the public about chain migration, claiming, for example, that giving amnesty to DACA recipients would result in a flood of immigrants to the United States. Most important to note, then, the system does put caps on how many family members can immigrate. There are caps on married children and adult siblings, and caps on how many people can even come from a single country. And no one qualifies for citizenship just by applying. Then, once you qualify to apply, there are all kinds of additional hoops of paperwork, affidavits of support, medical reports, security checks, money to be paid, and so on. It's not unusual for the process to take many years, as it did for me, all of which makes Donald Trump's claim that chain migration presents a national security threat seem pretty preposterous. Also, the number of immigrants arriving here via family visas has dropped to its lowest point in a decade since Trump became president. In fact, the number of relatives immigrating who weren't immediate family members plummeted 70% within the first nine months of 2017 compared to the previous year. So somehow the Trump administration has found ways to chip away at chain migration without congressional assistance. You might not know any of that if you depended on learning about this issue from the Trump administration or its allies. We heard from Senator Tom Cotton earlier. He, and many others, have previously described something that Tom Cotton called unlimited chain migration. Now you know that that simply doesn't exist. 
The term chain migration is being manipulated now to play into many people's fears. The chain in chain migration, coupled to Trump's repeated and baseless argument that, quote, truly evil people who may be terrorists are sneaking in with their families by the dozens. The chain, now intended to conjure up a stream of faceless immigrants who don't look like us or speak like us and who simply aren't going to fit in. In the same way, some have tried to smear immigrants for years, decades even, of course, referring to them as pests or vermin, rats, cockroaches, or swarms. Even now, politicians crossly refer to immigrant children as, quote, anchor babies. Now that many people find this type of language offensive, however, the anti-immigrant forces deploy seemingly less loaded terms like quote, illegal, and most recently, chain migration. But they consistently use these terms in contexts which tap into the same brutal arguments which have been leveled at immigrants for decades upon decades, whether they be African or Jewish or Irish, Italian or Japanese, Mexican or Syrian. As the term illegal attained a negative and dehumanizing meaning, its critics began responding, no human being is illegal. As the Trump administration has begun to disseminate the term chain migration with this more menacing connotation, critics have also begun to protest its use. It's deeply problematic that political leaders are increasingly referring to family-based migration as chain migration, says Sister Donna Markham, president of Catholic Charities USA. She says, families aren't chains. They are mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, grandmothers, grandfathers, and brothers, and sisters. It's not true, as some on the left have gone so far as to say, that right-wing critics of chain migration invented that term. However, they have weaponized it. To avoid these creeping connotations, some advocates of the current system prefer to refer to the dynamic as family reunification. Regardless of how we refer to it, it's important to revisit the term and to remember that so-called chain migration is really just a common form of immigration. Though the specifics have changed throughout our history, this is how immigrants have always arrived to our shores. Now let's take a moment to discover the profile of an immigrant to these United States. She was born in Jerusalem and immigrated with her family from Israel to the United States when she was just three years old. Her given Hebrew name was Nedalie Hirschlag. She learned to speak Hebrew and attended a Jewish elementary school on Long Island. She began acting as a child, and to protect her privacy, she adopted her paternal grandmother's maiden name. You've seen her in movies like The Professional and Heat as a child, then in the Star Wars prequel trilogy, and most recently in movies like Black Swan, Annihilation, and Avengers Endgame. And you know her best, of course, as Natalie Portman. You'll find a link to the original essay this episode was based upon in the episode description. If you like what you heard, consider supporting the podcast on Patreon. Your support will help make this a better project. For more information, visit patreon.com forward slash immigrant song. You can also follow this project on Twitter or on Facebook. Just search for Immigrant Song. Our opening music is Wildness by Serge Anto. 
with interstitial and closing music by Podington Bear. This has been Robert Stribley. Thanks for listening.